Hey, Ecclesia. My name is Eric Wally, and I'm really excited to introduce you to um, a new podcast series uh, around who is Ecclesia. If you've been with us in person or online for the past four or five weeks, we've been doing a series about who is Ecclesia. Some stories from the beginning, some things that really make us distinct and unique. And as we started to have these conversations, we, we and as a staff, we had larger conversations and we got to hear more stories from Chris and from Sean, from other staff members. And it occurred to us that, you know, I wish that I could bring the whole congregation into the room to hear because I found the conversations meaningful um, and interesting. And so that's what this podcast series is going to be. It's going to be a, a series of conversations that we hope are meaningful and that are interesting and give you insight into, you know, how Ecclesia began and, you know, who we are today and what do we hope for in the future. So this very first conversation is between Chris and Sean and talking about how Ecclesia started. And I found the stories really interesting, stories I'd never heard before. And so I hope you enjoy and you stay tuned for more episodes in the future. So uh, we have been in this, we've been in this series here across our campuses talking about uh, who is Ecclesia. I mean, one of the reasons for that is coming out of COVID, uh, there's just been a ton of new people who have entered our spaces that don't know us. Who we don't we? know. Yeah. 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 I, I look out on Sunday morning, regardless of which campus it is, and sometimes think, I don't recognize half of you. And so it's a good time to kind of reiterate our story for people who are uh, new to it, for folks who have been a part of it, got disconnected during COVID. So let's start kind of in the beginning in terms of- uh, When was Ecclesia born? Yeah, right? It's yeah. kind of like, when were you born? Well, I mean, there was a moment, right, where a, a seed connected. And for me, I never know exactly where that is because it really goes back to like my own faith journey of realizing like, I know I'm a Christian, but I watched and experienced the churches I grew up with and went, my faith won't make it here. Like I won't, I'll be the, you know, the parable Jesus talked about the seed that just never sprouted or took off. Um, so at some point you began to realize, I credit my dad a lot because instead of like in these really hypocritical legalistic environments, um, we were joking today that my dad took me to a really inappropriate James Bond movie. Um, at like age 10. Um, so we weren't living in that kind of legalism, but it was the air we breathed, right. right? And I remember my dad saying like, read the book of Acts and figure out what you think the church is supposed to be, but don't just get pissed at this, you right. know? And I was like, okay, it kind of gave me permission to think in a day that I was still like, if I had to be a pastor, it meant I had to wear a suit and sit on a platform really awkwardly and let people kind of gripe at you all the time and like all the things that went with that. And yet at the same time, I'd go with my dad and he'd pray for people in the hospital. And I'd go like, yeah, like that. People were real in the hospital. So they'd come to church on Sunday all like, but I remember following him. I had a summer, my mom was sick and I just, I literally followed my dad everywhere. And I remember going into hospital rooms like, these people don't act the same as they act when they come to church. Yeah. And my dad didn't act the same, right? He would 
lean in and put his hands on them and pray for them. And they, they were willing to be vulnerable and they had a need, right? So in some ways, those, in those moments, it was born. That same summer, my mom wasn't around. We lived in Amarillo. My dad was at a really unique but kind of odd Baptist church up there. And this old lady just decided she loved me. I don't know, maybe fourth grade. And her brother was a pastor. I didn't know who he was, but she kept telling me he's a great pastor. And for some reason, she was one of the first people that told me, like, you'd be a great pastor. And she used to make me lunch when my dad was busy. And she'd give me Bibles, and she'd tell me how to go talk to people about Jesus. And and um, I found out later her her brother was W.A. Criswell, who was the longtime pastor at First Baptist Dallas. And he was much more legalistic than she was. And he like cut her off at some point. Like he didn't go to her funeral. Like this lady was awesome. She was a widow. And I just remember all of that forming this like, huh? Like, I don't want a part of this. Like, if we don't agree on everything then I'm not going to my sister's funeral, like, Mm. um, and from according to her, it was very much like kind of theological and way of living things like probably like my dad taking me to a James Bond movie, right? When I'm 10, like, which was great because I still love James Bond. But in, in those moments, I think there was this sense of like, if my faith is going to thrive, I've got to be willing to put enough skin in the game to create a community my own faith can thrive in. So right. it was like a do or die, yeah. you know? So the first attempt at that was out of college, starting University Baptist Church with my buddy David Crowder. It was a great experience. It's, it's still a wonderful church. But being that close to a Baptist university and too many people came at first and it was hard to keep this missional flavor and this like, there, there was still a consumer aspect and there always will be some of that it was more of it than I liked. So I knew when, if I got one more chance and in 99, you know, I was like, if we're going to start, I'm a Houstonian. I've told the story at Open Door a million times, but the way it happened was I was consulting for a church in Atlanta. It was Baptists and Presbyterians had come together to fund a big church plant in Five Points, um, little Five Points in Atlanta, and they had a million bucks to do it. They asked me to consult, and then at the end of it, they said, we want you to come pastor this church. And I was like, I hate the Braves. That was my instant. And I still do, by the way, and I hope we play them in the World Series this year. Um, I just knew, like, you can't pastor a church in a city that you don't like their sports team. Like nobody would like you. Like if somebody was here in Houston and they're a pastor and they hate the Astros, I, I would run them out of town. Like you shouldn't be here, go somewhere else. Maybe I wouldn't, I don't really, I don't really care. But for you me, care a little it, bit. for me it matters, yeah. right? And, uh, and that's the moment I realized like, I'm a Houstonian, like that's who I am. I can't run from it, I can't like, I'm a Houstonian. So in those ways, that's when Ecclesia was born. And then we didn't have a service until, you know, September of 99, but. It reminds me, and I can't remember exactly, I can't remember who said it, maybe you do, that the best critique is to create something more beautiful. Yeah. Right? So, and you and I have been around, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, when church planting was just booming, everybody wanted to plant a church. Every youth pastor who was hacked off at their senior pastor, everybody's like planted, and so much of it was driven just by animosity, and like, I'll show you, or you didn't do this one thing that I wanted to go do, so I'm going to... kind of peel off some of your you know key leaders and that sort of thing and go down and most of those oh, failed 100 percent. i mean i used right. to keep a notebook and i just call it the reactionaries and I, like 
all these people that were reactionary, I used to just keep a little note. And I mean, I don't know one of them that planted a church that did something beautiful because right. it was just, it, they were mad about this part or that part of the church they came from. And so you know what you're not going to do, but you don't know what you're going to do. Right. And the, the good part for me was that I had, and obviously I preach about it often because I grew up in an environment where fear, I mean, I joke about my grandfather preaching on hell with the heat up, but I mean, he really kind of did, you know, <laughs> and that fear was like this motivator right. and, and they, he, they love those films where they, you know, chop people's heads off, you know, mm-hmm. and the rapture came and, and it was literally like, I remember a youth pastor going like, if you don't want your head chopped off, you know, then you're like, right. what? Right. Like following Jesus means just, you don't want your head chopped off. Like, no, but because that was, I didn't like it. But it was my people. I mean, literally, sometimes it was my dad, my grandfather. It was mm-hmm. people I loved. So I think I didn't despise it and need to react against it as much. And I think my dad, to get back to the real subject of when Ecclesi was born, he, you know, just saying, like, Acts, when you read Acts, it's freaking beautiful. I mean, these people love each other and they share everything and people are being healed and they're reconnected with God and the story of God. I mean, you talked about it today in our staff meeting. These sermons and Acts are just like, these narratives of God's big story and the people's story that were connected to it, right? And uh, nobody can argue with that. You could do these apologetics things from, I don't even remember, Josh McDowell or whoever those people we grew up in, like, yeah. fight with people about this. And there's a ton to fight up. But, like, you read those sermons and acts and people go, my life was changed because the God that made the universe, right. like, lo- knows me and loves me. Like, you can't argue It's much more it. like a taste and see Rather than like explain and debate. Which is why like people ask all the time, like, why do we like I grew up Baptist, we took the Eucharist like four times a year, and you know, you were usually absent for at least one of them, so maybe you got two or three. Why do we like because this taste and see this and I knew I was a bad enough preacher that I might make a mistake one week and Jesus might never come up in the sermon. And there's nothing more embarrassing than somebody coming up like, hey, you preached the whole sermon, you forgot to mention Jesus, right? You're like, oh gosh, that's that's kind of a fail. So at Ecclesia, you can't ever do that. You have to land with Jesus. Yeah. And as long as we do that, we like, we'll never suck that bad, right? I mean, oh, we'll, yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll at least, we'll get the main thing right by the end. But that, there is something about communion of that taste and see of like, yeah, this is... And we're connecting with the story of everybody else in the world. I mean, I, I, lately, after being in Ukraine and knowing that we're sending bread out in Ukraine, there is something about the Eucharist when I come to that bread, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this sense of, like, people in Ukraine, like, they're taking the same communion right now. And I'm worried about, like, I mean, before we started the podcast, I told everybody how unbelievably angry I am. <laughs> about the rip-off sushi I got at Post today, right? Because it was $24 bento box, and it was like grocery store California rolls. That's a rip, and I'm mad. Like, that's my biggest problem, <laughs> you know? Like, my son had a little wreck last week. Like, it's not Ukraine problems, right? right. But we're taking the same communion, and we're, we're learning. If we're going to be one, then that means we mourn with them. And we celebrate with one another. we got to do both, the mourning and the celebrating. Um, so yeah, I think we're born out of all that. And hopefully, I mean, I do believe Ecclesia is a, it's a beautiful expression of God's love, you know, and it, nobody owns it. Like 
I got to be privileged to help start it, but it's like you look at our staff, like almost 50 people that all express God's love in a different way, and, and, and they, they're not the ones really doing it. Our job is to nurture it in right. the whole community and the world. We're gardeners in that sense, right? And that's, that's a fun thing to watch. Um, I just got back from this Mexico City trip, and just hearing the stories of the people in the group and the girls in the safe house, like both. Mm. Like everybody had trauma and pain and sorrow, but somehow we were all meeting Jesus in the same ways. Mm. And say a couple of words about the safe house in Mexico City for folks who are <laughs> well, watching for, or listening and, and may not know. Well, for once, so our friends, our partners, El Pozo de Vida, they've been partners and friends for a long time. Benny and Janice, you started it. They went and thought they were starting a church that's connected with our sister church, New Song, out in California. And then they realized this is maybe less of a church and more of a opportunity to stand for justice for these girls that are being trafficked. In Mexico City, some of these districts are just, it's unbelievable, uh, the amount of trafficked young women particularly, um, but you know, women of all ages. And they have a safe house. The cool story from this one, for me, there were a bunch of them. Every time we visit, I, and I encourage all Ecclesians, like, this is a trip you got to take at some point. It's going to cost you, and you can decide, like, am I going to take a vacation or a pilgrimage that will build up my faith? And I would just say, try for both, but you want to do this. And you sit with these, you sit with a girl that was, you know, some of these, these girls are 8 to 15, 16-ish, um, and, you know, have been often sold by family into sex trafficking, and um you sit with them and you share a meal with them this time. Dave Ramos and Josue are great cooks, so I got to work in the kitchen, Kristen and I, uh, cooking an amazing like chicken piccata uh, for these girls and get to make them a meal. Uh, our friend Albert Pujols actually bought the safe house. It was a multi-million dollar project because it's got to actually keep them safe and anonymous from their yeah. pimps, cartels, family members that were out to get them. And... Uh, and it was pretty cool. I got a notification on my phone while we were there in the safe house he bought that he hit 701 yeah. home runs. Like that was, it was pretty cool. And to go like, maybe that's how you hit 701 home runs. I mean, it's different than Barry Bonds, but by being the right. kind of guy that funds safe houses, mm -hmm. like instead of just your own thing. So, um, but the great part for me is the stories of the people in our church and these girls, there's different levels of trauma, but they're all the same. I mean, we're just, we're figuring it out together. And what happens on an Ecclesia trip, whether you go to the Holy Land or Mexico or like you become best friends, this whole group's getting together for food and drinks after church this Sunday and mm -hmm. they're praying for each other and they're encouraging each other. And all of us need that kind of sacred soul connection. So um, anyway, the, the trip was great. The girls will change your life. And then we get to do a block party where we, you know, we, yeah. we do thousands, thousand dollars worth of food and gifts for these women that are working the streets. Yeah. And, um, well, I can't imagine that 23 years ago, right. When you said, Hey, let's, let's start a new worshiping community. I mean, you can drive around Houston, right. And no one thinks driving around Houston, what this town needs is another church. Right. Yeah. But you want to do something different. It had a different expression. And 23 years ago, you weren't thinking, Hey, we're going to take a trip in late <laughs> September, October to Mexico, while we're also doing stuff in Ukraine, while we're also doing stuff at the border. Yeah. We've got partners in Argentina. Um, but that there was an impulse about what the church should be outside of like weekly gatherings. Because so many of us like grew up where the purpose of uh, having church was to have church. 
Yeah. And so if we got there and you know we did all the bells and smells and all the and went home and and nothing ever. Yeah, we had an changed. envelope at Sunday school and you could check it off, right? You were there. You went to worship. You went to Sunday school. You read your Bible. You gave your tithe. I think you were supposed to witness too. I think there was one, but, but if you could check all the boxes, yeah. you know, you're doing good. Yeah, we didn't. We knew it wasn't that. Like I, we had no idea it would be the global expression that it is, but. But it had to, the, the symbol of the church from the beginning has always been, and my friend Tim Bassanio took this amazing photo that's kind of become the logo of this open hand. It's from a statue in France. It's just a beautiful, but it was just open-handedness. Like whatever God gives us, we're going to share it, you know? And, you know, every year we got to figure out how we make it through a year and how we pay the bills and how we take care of staff and how we fund all the things we do. But now we got three amazing campuses with no debt and the buildings are used for whoever needs it for whatever. Like, it's just this open handed, like let's give back to God what he's given to us. And I believe personally, like if the whole, my friend Greg Holder mentioned this term revival and it's never been my thing. Uh, he mentioned it yesterday and I don't know that I am longing or praying for what I thought a revival was when I was young, but I am praying for a transformation where all of us just like, if we all gave everything that's in our hand freely, right? the resources, human-wise, human resources, gifts, talents, money, all of it, at Ecclesia alone would just it transform the world. I mean, um, so I think we have that open-handedness, and hopefully, it it just carries forward. You know, that's what I hope. It, I see it a lot. So, so like our friendship goes back decades, right? You were on staff at another church in town, right? Doing what I mean, we've joked forever. The Sunday night service was the, you know, the industry staff. service. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was literally every denomination, every tribe, the people working in other churches that were there. But you were there for more than just like popping in the service to like you leaned in the community and made friendships and relationships mm. and had this sense of like. You know, I don't know if you call it the smell test or something. You just came through and went like, oh, like, yeah. Or maybe Rochelle did. I don't remember. Like, yeah. I mean, those were interesting days. I mean, people around Ecclesia who've been here for a long time talk about, yeah, I go back to Taft. And I always want to say, well, look, let's talk about West End. Yeah. Like, because that's when we, we started. And what we realized, so my heart has always been, in many ways, still is for, uh, the generations behind me. Like that's why I went into student ministry. That's so why I do a lot of the stuff that I still do. Why I work with, with young communicators and like, I care really deeply about uh, the younger folks we have on staff. Like that's actually like the stuff that like, Oh, like, I want to do. That's what I like to pursue. And what I was noticing was like, I had to graduate these kids and they'd go off to college and their faith would like either atrophy or like totally fall off a cliff altogether. And so I knew a couple of things where there's something that I was doing that I could be doing better. Um, and I needed to figure out what that was. But I also looked around, and saw the churches that these kids were like just tip, dipping their toe in and it just wasn't communicating to them uh, what they needed or what I had communicated to them. And now like many of them are in their thirties, some are in their forties and they're coming back to me and going like, yeah, like, like the, the way that we were taught and raised, it just wasn't available. And so there was this, there was this book that I've, I've surely I've taken a half price books since then that just was talking about ministries across the United States where they were having really good effect with younger people, particularly college age people. 
and one of and it mentioned University Baptist in Waco. And I was like, okay, well that's not that's not too far. And then I found out, I don't really know how, um, that oh, like the guy who planted University Baptist is now in Houston. And so I think I may have asked our mutual friend Brian McLaren about that. And he was like, Yeah, you should go and and, and check it out. And so we when we found out it was meeting on Sunday nights, um, Rochelle and I, this is before we had the girls, said, let's go down there. And we come in, like, as all guests, right? Like in church, the guests show up on time. Yeah. Like the community members are always late. So we were there like right at five o'clock and hardly anyone was there. Uh, it started like maybe five or seven after and it, it filled in. I get maybe there were like 400 people there total at the time and no one talked to us at all. <laughs> like not a single person. So we're driving back home. We were living in Katy at the time. And Rochelle and I were talking. I was like, that's the, that's the least friendly church <laughs> that I have ever been to. But what we found out later was no one talked to us, not because they weren't interested in knowing us, but because they didn't know each other. Like so, the church was that new. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> and we definitely had this, like, I had this phobic thing of so many churches you go into, they're on you. It felt like it's an assault. Like, and, and yeah. literally, if you had to be of a certain age to know, but used to, if you went to the gap, it was just like, Hey, what do you need? You know? And you're like, Whoa, Whoa. I just wanted a t-shirt. Like, yeah. Hey, give 100%. me a minute. And people were just, and I was like, we're never doing that. Which ended up with this, like, yeah. nobody talks to nobody. Right. <laughs> like the, the thing now, like we have some of the friendliest people that kind of manage every section at elder that make sure like people make sure people are greeted and what feels more organic. But yeah, we overreacted on that one. <laughs> It was, but uh, it, I mean, we liked it enough. We're like, we're going to go back. So our, we had a small group and our small group met on Sunday nights. I think like the next month we came back. And then I think I just like shot you an email saying, let's get together. Let's get together for lunch. We connected over lunch and like slowly because it was on Sunday nights, it was free, a free time for us. Like we started coming, turned out that, um, you know, Rochelle at the time uh, was working with a couple of different people who, who were kind of new to Ecclesia, like Jen Randall even being one of them. Yeah. They worked together. And we had all of these cross connections um, to the community here, which is which was like super fascinating. And then the move over to Taft, and I'd just start hanging out at the coffee shop at Taft just to get out of the office, like to go someplace else. Yeah. And so it kind of just like snowballed. I have this really clear memory. And I don't know, this may be about 2001. Um, I was on Post Oak, and you were coming. Um, I can't remember that the cross street there, and we stopped. You were, I think you were driving this old BMW at the time. Oh, like it ran an on old garbage. Mercedes, yeah, yeah Mercedes, old Mercedes yeah. on diesel. <laughs> yeah, I, I ran it on the biodiesel. It's my so hippie attempt. We to rolled save down our the, windows. The world. We rolled down our windows and are literally in the middle of the intersection having a conversation with all the traffic going around. And I was like, oh, you know, like that was. I, I think, I think your car ran on trash then. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. like was, you just like banana peels and gum wrappers. Um, and so just over time, like, Oh, let's do, you know, the, the weekends, uh, where either I was off or there was a special event that we could make it good Friday services, Lenten things. And, you know, even when we moved, we moved to California, you and I'd stay in touch. Like we'd run in each other at catalyst. And I think you had some extra tickets for catalyst one year and hooked up a friend of mine. And so it's just kind of always been in that, but we felt like, it was such an expression of what we, where we weren't experiencing where we were, not that where, where we were was bad. Yeah. 
And so Malia was born. She started coming. Like she's off in college now, like kind of like your girls. Like she remembers godly play, like really <laughs> clearly, you know? That's so and, great. Like, we've been back since they ended godly play. Like she was legitimately upset because it was this space where um, you know, there was really an emphasis on discernment yeah. instead of like, okay, like whoever's teaching is going to tell you exactly what to believe about this particular text. Fill now, in the blank yeah. kind of Christianity, yeah. which is like, if people haven't and figured that was it out huge by now. At like, the time, and people weren't around. Like that was huge at the time. There were big, huge church conferences. And they were like, this is how you teach. Like you give people this little outline and they literally fill in the blank. And it's like, Mm -mm. is there any space for my own journey with God in this? Yeah. And are people going to be guides for me here or are people going to be like, like dictators yeah. to me here? Yeah. And we found that really, and we had so many people um, uh, that we brought who were much, much older back to Taft. And we were trying to raise money for some other things. And this guy who just made a ton of money in Houston as an attorney and we're sitting around talking, he goes, you know, that thing we just went to, that, I thought that was great because he called it that thing we just went to. That thing we just went to, he's like, I don't get it, but my son would. Hmm. And I said, exactly. Yeah. Because that's always what I've cared about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we have to keep caring about, right? It's like, how do we keep passing that faith on to the next? And I, and I think, I mean, we can step in a lot of traps here, but the truth is like the political environment where churches are weighing in on things we don't have any business weighing in on, right? And we're isolating more people than we can even dream of being winsome towards, right? So what does it look like to be this church where you don't have to vote a certain way? You don't have to, thank God, dress a certain way. Or I mean, right. the, the diversity of people at our, it's pretty awesome. Like it's part of what makes our community great. You know, and hopefully you got, you know, a business guy wearing loafers with, you know, some some folks that don't wear shoes that often. And that right. just like or it's just a beautiful thing when it all comes together. And if we were monolithic, right, it just would be the most boring church ever. And gratefully, for whatever reason, we've been able to hold that through the years. And that's the biggest cultural pushback. Right. So you've traveled a lot across the United States, you know teaching and speaking, like I've done the same, the family's been with me. And like, here's the thing you learn when you travel across the, the states. It's all the same, especially if you do road trips. Like, okay, there's a Chipotle, there's a Home Depot, there's a McDonald's, there's a Starbucks, there's, and there's just something in our cultural ethos that says for it to be good, you have to like McDonaldize it. Like, it's, like and to, it's really difficult because churches have taken that on, right? Yeah. This very, predictable like um model and to say like we're gonna try to i mean being a big tent creates a lot of problems yeah. that you don't have well that's why this, a big tent. maybe that's why this podcast and the series is so important because the reality is like we're a church with three campuses right these three campuses are really, really. different they're really different and if, for people that haven't been over to lindale like you got to get over to lindale and yeah at some point we're going to be doing some bilingual services over there. And there's, but I mean, right now we're doing what we got to do at the early days of Taft, right? Which is just love on everybody in the neighborhood. And after you do that long enough, right? The early days, I mean, Sean mentioned Taft. Like if you weren't around, you just, it's hard to explain. Uh, Cause it was, the building was rough and yet beautiful. 
this guy that was a Presbyterian kind of funder came in and we had taken what was an old steel building. It was really a gymnasium and built out a second floor and made a coffee shop. Then we had an art venue gathering room in it. And, um, and he just couldn't believe like we would take out the basketball goals because he was just like, you should just play basketball. I'm like, only 10 people can play basketball at a time. <laughs> but it became this place that, right, I'll never forget, like going down to the men's bathroom and there's like a leather miniskirt in the men's bathroom and you're like, why is it here? And you're right. like, who knows? This is right. staffed, right? It's just, Derek Webb came in and did a concert and he, he looked up at me at the end of it. He goes, there's a guy that snorted cocaine during my concert. <laughs> like I watched him, I wa and we were like, yeah, it's Taft, you know, yeah. like, I don't know what to tell you. It's just a really unique place. But the thing that paid off there, right? And I, I remember being in the building one day, we were doing the, uh, the organic foods co-op and somebody was going through the bookstore and coffee shop and somebody asked, like, they came in and goes, what is this building? Because you never could right. tell. They were like, what was it? And they go, what is this? And they're like, it's like a community center. And they go, well, is there like a church here or something? They go, yeah. This lady was acting like she knew her. She's like, yeah, I mean, it's community center and we let the church use it, you know? And, <laughs> and I was sitting right there and I was just like, and I went, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, it was like, that's the best compliment you could get. So if people ask like, what's happening in Lindale? Like we're serving kids, tutoring, head start, you know, all 63 families that are living below the poverty line. English is second language, languages class. There's Bible studies happening. There's all this space. And we really believe if we love on that community long enough, we're going to have the real street cred to go in and start services and do other things. Now, that campus couldn't be more different right. than 325 Piney Point. Like, that's a different neighborhood. The gospel, same gospel, it just expresses itself differently. And they did wine and bingo there the other night and right. crushed it, right? Hundred people show up for wine and bingo because that's what you want in that neighborhood where Josue makes pozole and Lindale, and that's gonna, you know, downtown's different. So most churches, if they have three campuses, four campuses, five campuses, they're a franchise mm -hmm. of the same Chipotle right. model, right? So just mm -hmm. to illustrate what you're saying, even within our community, we value the diversity over the homogeneity. It's why people come in and go, "What's up with the chairs?" Right. right. And from the very beginning, I've just said from the beginning, we're never going to have all the same chairs because different booties are different sizes and people are different and we prefer something different. And when the colors and the styles and they come together, you're like, that. it looks better. Yeah. It looks better than a bunch of just, and we look better because we're different. So that, but all that to say, that's hard, that's hard to rally at times because yeah. the way people rally now the way you raise money is fear, right? So politicians know how to do it. Scare people. The liberals are out to get you. The conservatives are there to take your rights or steal democracy. Or you go on and on. It's just like the boogeyman's coming and you got to be careful. And that's was a lot of the church I grew up in too. It was like the culture's coming to get you. So what does it look like to not do that and say, no, we're actually rallying around something beautiful. As long as it's beautiful, it can be Pozole with friends in Lindale Heights and it can be the coolest barbecue ever downtown harmony house we gather with homeless brothers and sisters there's music you you know you eat ribs at that thing and you look around and you're like nowhere else in the world do you gather this group of people around smoked meats like nowhere it's that's it's beautiful um but yeah what does it look like to to let that be the rallying point not the evil other right and it's really difficult in our cultural moment, right? T to be that kind of place where folks for six days a week, right, are kind of discipled 
and othering, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But Ecclesia has always been this place where, no, like, we're brothers and sisters. We're friends on a shared journey. And, like, there are folks here, and you and I know, that, like, man, if you knew so-and-so in any other context, you would be at each other's throats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, that's the, I think that's, to me, the beautiful thing about what a church is. This is the only, it's the only thing in the world that's going to tell you to love your neighbor and then give you a neighbor unlike yourself to love. Yeah. Like everything else is about you go to your corner, you go to your corner and we can throw stones and we can not actually even know each other very well, know each other's cares, motivations, hurts, griefs. Um, and it makes it a whole lot easier to do that kind of thing. So if you poll 10 Ecclesians on abortion, you're going to get 10 different answers, right? And we've got to decide. I mean, I've decided for me, we've got to decide, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing, right? Mm. Do you want to be a part of a Christian community where you go, we have to agree exactly to the T on all those things, right? So we can all agree that life is really important, that life comes from God. Mm. How we handle that, how we express, like, that's, we're getting into people's stories, right? And again, for most of us, I, it's really easy to be judgmental about the things we don't struggle with or we right. haven't experienced. And so we're going to live in this place and it's always going to be hard as a church and pastorally, we have to kind of set some boundaries where we just say like, Hey, whatever your story is, it's important that you feel safe here. Right. And it's important that what we say from the platform and what other people say to you respects your unique story. And, that means we don't just have talking points. We actually have to listen to people's stories. That's always taken a lot longer, and it's always been a little bit messier. But in my experience, I, you know, my beliefs have changed through the years. I've grown on some things. I've learned some things. And that's because we live in this community where other people's stories have affected my story. I think I've been a part of affecting other people's stories as well in positive ways. And we've all hurt each other as right. well, right? So well, and I was going to mention, I, you know, especially for you and I and some and some others, where we talk a lot, right? Like the we acknowledge you and I would easily readily say we're going to get some stuff wrong for sure, right? I don't think that everybody necessarily knows that or hears that when we say like, yeah. like oh. we're never claiming infallibility. No, but like this is this is what the best we have to offer. We are not today. the popes of Ecclesia, right. right? And thank God, I think we have a pope that even knows he's, yeah. he's fallible, which is is progress. But with each other and with with all the pastors on staff and just everybody you come in contact with to live in an and maybe this is getting back to what you were talking about from the church of your your family of origin like an orientation toward love and forgiveness over criticism and judgment. Yeah. Um, and like to be a church is like, you know what? This person said this or did this, that decision was made. And instead of criticism and judgment, I'm going to offer um, friendship and forgiveness. Like it's that, that space between stimulus and response like that you could, you can fill that space with anything you want. Um, you can feel it with negativity, judgment, criticism, or you can feel it with hope and belief and forgiveness. But you actually do get to choose it, right? Like yeah. we, we get to decide what's going to fill that space. And then what's, what's, what do I think God's actually asking me to, yeah. to put in there? And I think that's one of the things for us that was refreshing 
when we first started coming is like, oh, okay. So the received answers, some which we, we got as kids that we really like and cling, cling onto, um, and some we didn't like, we actually can, in the healthiest sense of that word, interrogate the content of our faith to see if it aligns with what we believe God is actually up to in the world. Yeah, and, and if we're gonna express it in the kind of radical grace that we talk about hypothetically, right? And I grew up in a church where we talked about it hypothetically, but if somebody screwed up, the hammer was coming down, mm -hmm. right? And what we've learned, you know, there's that great parable of the Bible, the guy that was forgiven so much debt, right? It was this beautiful thing. And then when people owed him, he threw him into jail, right? It was like, man, that's, that's not how you want to live. And the reality is we just do the same with our own grace. It's really hard to be um, in this position where you want to receive grace if you didn't extend it. Right. And so we're just going to err. Everybody's going to err. We're going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to sit down and went, hey, I hope. He goes, hey, you just gave too much grace to too many people. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll live with it. But if he's like, hey, you thought you were right about everything, and you, you look down on people you shouldn't look down on, like, you weren't right. <laughs> and that, that'll be harder to live with. And so and we know at Ecclesia, like, people's lives are messy. It's, right. And the old way, where you didn't let people into the messy places, just meant it got messier. Because mm -hmm. you didn't, you went to church and pretended like it wasn't that messy. You know, I remember hearing stories about awful things in people's families that if you'd saw them on Sunday, you just never would know any of that was going on. And we want to live in that other space where we just go like, Let's share it. Let's get help. Let's walk through things. Now, you don't need to air your dirty laundry with yep. everybody, but this is the kind of community you can find somebody that'll walk through, you right. know, the trenches with you. And we're not everybody, gonna... but somebody, right? Exactly. There's somebody that. Exactly. Some trusted person. If you can't find them, come to one of us and we'll help point you to. Paul Randall has walked through more <laughs> trenches with people and he'll point you towards somebody right. who'll walk through the trenches with you. And, and nobody will ever know, ever, right? no, unless you want them to know. Like, I'm proud to be a part of a church where people get cared for that way. And, you know, he's better at some things than anybody else on our staff, yeah. and other people 100%. are better than other things, and that's the great part of what we get to do, right, is that our strengths play off each other. And that's why I love doing ministry with Sean. That's why I love doing ministry. Ramon is the secret savant genius yeah. behind everything that happens yeah. and has zero ego, right? Yeah. I mean, he's the chaplain of the Astros, but he won't tell anybody because right. he just doesn't have this ego that needs to be fed. So and there's, you know, and I, I was actually asking about this on a, another podcast. And I was like, well, you know, what's your yours and Chris's relationship like with just around the teaching content. So, you know, there are two ways that you can look at that. I said, you can say uh, there's Chris and Sean, which could be competition, tension, you know, or you could say there's Chris plus Sean. And I think that when people see each other, like as the folks around me are an addition to what God's able to do. Yeah. Oh. It's a completely different way of, being in the world. And I just imagine like what that d does to marriage is what it does to families. Like if it's not, you know, Chris mm -hmm. and Kristen, 
but yeah. it's Chris plus Kristen. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, yeah. people come into your, you know, my, uh, I call him my great uncle because um, it's just easier. But he was a basketball coach in Detroit. He's a legendary basketball coach in Detroit. Coach Juwan Howard and all those guys oh went gosh. on. He was with the, with them at the Fab Five as assistant coach. Then, and um, so, and Juwan Howard says this a lot, but he actually stole it from my my great uncle. And he's people come into your life to add, subtract, multiply, or divide. True. Right. And so True. when the sooner you know who a person is in your life, like the more clarity you have about that. And I think like churches can function that way too. Yeah. Like when people come into our space, do we want to add, subtract, multiply, or divide? Yeah. Um, and you start to, for me, that's been helpful. Think about my web of relationships when I interact with people or you know, what we're doing here as a community. Like, is this, what, what of those things is it mm. going to do? Yeah. I mean, this was the first few trips I've gotten to take with Kristen internationally, right? So we had one of those moments. You just realize, like, if you've got two sets of eyes, smart people around. Like, I would say Sean multiplies my effectiveness in, through what you do. Kristen had this moment, right? We land in Argentina, and Pastor Marcelo, our good friend, picks us up, and he's got a new car, which was awesome. I was just like, it had Apple CarPlay. And I'm learning like, all you really want is Apple CarPlay. And you can, I get a lot of work done, like texting people while you're doing it. I'm like, great, Marcelo, you got a new car. We'd bought him a car 10 years ago and I'd kind of forgotten about it. And clearly it was used then, like it wasn't making anymore. So I just said, Marcelo, did you get a, you know, you probably had to finance. He said, yeah. I said, did you get a good interest rate? And he said, 5%. And then what I didn't hear was he said 5% per month, right? Kristen heard per month, right? So she's smarter than I am. She did the math. By the time we get out of the car, she's like, it's 60%, right? You can't be a pastor in a poor neighborhood paying 60% interest on your car. Mm -hmm. Like, you just can't. So, you know, it was, I had one of these moments coming back where I just realized, like, if she hadn't picked up on that, like, and I wouldn't have known, like, you know, I'd be better off paying off this car on my credit card because my right. credit card interest rate's better than that. Like, I just would have missed it, you know? And... When we work together, all of us, like we, it's what we do. We yeah. multiply our effectiveness. And if I'd have missed that, I'd have felt like a failure. I mean, he, he doesn't need to be paying that kind of interest with a job where he's caring for the poor and, you know, doing things that are really important. And I'm, I'm just going to miss things. So the more, having real partners in it, we, we're so much more effective. I, I felt this shame of like, in a typical world, I would have missed it. Like, yeah. I would have missed it. Yeah. And how many other things did I miss? Right. Um, a lot, I'm sure. I'm sure. You, you talk a little bit about that, and people ask you, like, if you've been the places that, you know, we're involved in and where we go. Mm -hmm. And part of what you typically say to people, right, is... Yeah, that's, like, I'm here so Chris can go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which the jet lag, people are like, it's so cool. You get to be in airports. And you're like, nobody in airports actually ever says that, by the way. Like... <laughs> When you're in the airport, you're exhausted. But it, I am made for those moments, yeah. right? And so part of the ways that you have multiplied my effectiveness is people aren't angry when I get back that I wasn't preaching anymore because they're like, Sean's here, it's fine. We're not, we're not even worried. We're used to it. Would, there would be a little yeah. bit more of that. And then I, get to, I, I come back energized, you know? So that, you know, a couple of years, and gratefully I needed to be home family-wise during the pandemic. Right. 
So I got to be home with family, but getting back into those places and the mess and the beauty of it, there's just nothing quite, quite like it. Um, and I, I know we can't take everybody in the church to all those places. It's part of why technology lets us be a much more global church. But it is for me important that at some point, whether it's Mexico City or something like you just get yeah. you get the smell, smell of it on you. And like historically for a lot of churches, right, um, many have been really good at serving their near neighbors. And many have been very good at serving their far neighbors, right? And typically what happens is churches make a choice. Like yeah. that's going to be our partner. We're going we're gonna to do that over there. Or we're going to do that down the street. Uh, I think one of the places where, where Ecclesia has found a really great rhythm probably because of where it was planted at Taft and all, yeah. is like, um, no, like every week for our near neighbors, every day for our near neighbors. But we also are doing every day for our far away neighbors. And, like, and no church, right, has the capacity to be in every place in the world that needs help. Yeah. Um, but talk a little bit about why that's important for who we are. Well, it starts with that difference, right? So it, it's, everybody wants to do an either or and that, you know, that's in that scarcity mentality. It says there'll never be enough. And the reality is scarcity, it, it triggers for any of us because we always feel like, do I have enough to pay my bills? Do I have enough food? You know, I get on an airplane sometimes like, what if they run out of food? Like, you know, <laughs> like, so there were times where I was like, get Papacitos just before you get on, just in case, right? And, um, but this reality of like, God's going to give us everything we need. And he always has. So let's do both. And, um, and out of that kind of mentality, it's, it's invigorated. I talked about in the sermon a few weeks ago. People are either like, hey, the way you lead this church, it exhausts me because there's always something going on. There's another hurricane. There's a war. There's a crisis. There's things happening you know, in places like Venezuela. And we see our role uniquely in a couple of ways. Like We get to come behind the people that are doing the hardest work, and we take care of them. Mm -hmm. Like If you talk to Mauricio and Isabelina, and they're a hoot, the pastors that lead... Uh, La Grecia de Frontera on the the border in Cucuta. Um, I'm always when I start talking about I start trying to speak Spanish, so I'm staying mm -hmm. English. But we're we're right there. We're right there at the border, right? And part of what they would tell you is that Ecclesia cares about us, like not just what we do. Mm -hmm. They care about us. When we lean in with Carlos, the pastor, one of the many pastors we worked with in Puerto Rico, but right now he's in one of the most uh, challenging areas and zones. We're sending him money to help with generators and food and things like that. But our goal is to get him to Houston and love on him and care for him so mm -hmm. he doesn't fall apart from all the things that he's doing. And Mauricio and Isabelina would say, we send him on vacations, we check in on them, like we care for them because we're in it for the long haul in those places. And I find we're just a better church. We can't do everything. But leaning in in all those places really generously and letting our budget reflect it is one of the reasons God's blessed us so amazingly. And I, it's the only kind of church I want to be a part of. So this year we're behind a little bit financially. We're going to figure it out. Like yeah. I hope people will give, but I'd rather go bankrupt leading that kind of church than the kind of church that starts going like, we don't have enough money to do that. We don't have enough money to care for those people. We can't do the homeless ministry anymore. We can't do like, we can't do it. We got to just, we got to give and trust and share along the way. And, uh, and that's what makes it such a fun ride, you know? Well, thanks for the conversation. 
Uh, it's nothing more fun to talk about, actually, you know, than to think about like, why do we do what we do? Yeah. Why are we who we are? And hopefully people that listen can go like, how do I fit into this? Because this is not like our church, right? I mean, it's God's church and it's a really diverse church. And the danger, you can close with whatever you want, but the, the danger at Ecclesia, the good part, we really do believe, not people talk about it, we really believe the priesthood of all believers, that God speaks to everybody. So I believe on any given Sunday, somebody's got a God-sized idea. Right. The beauty at Ecclesia is that usually you come to the church and go, hey, why don't you guys start this new program? And we go, yes, right? Yeah. You are now commissioned as the bishop over that new program. And it's your job. Like you had the idea, you've got the gifts. And my hope and prayer is when people listen to this, they just start to figure out like, I need to be more a part of what God's doing. Not as like a leader in the church that spends all the time in the building, but as a person that's like inspired to, you know, the reason we're at the Venezuela border is because we made one connection that led to another and boom, now we have multiple years of feeding thousands and thousands of people. So I don't know what those next things are, but that's the fun part of a podcast like yeah. this is maybe it will stir something yeah. in somebody. And one of the great things I love about this community is that, yeah, we can talk about Ukraine and Kukata and all these other things, but I know for a fact that those very same impulses and drives are at work in the community, in their schools, workplaces, in their neighborhoods. Like it's happening all over the, and we don't always hear those stories because yeah. it's people just quietly and humbly serving because they've caught a glimpse of what God can do through their lives just by caring for, for people. And I'm, I'm amazed at some of the folks who worship here and the stuff they do. You just sit down with them and go like that. You may be the smartest, most amazing person I have ever met. and. If you never ask them the question, they would never tell you. Never all tell the you. Yep. Yeah, that's why I love this church. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we want to thank you all for spending some time with us in future episodes. Uh, you're going to hear from a variety of different voices, sharing um, who Ecclesia is, what we're doing, uh, giving you a greater sense sense of how God can use you where you are and how God might be speaking to you. Thanks for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>